Chapter 9 It was past lunchtime, and the ice creams had done just enough to abate their hunger. James was trying to figure out their next move when he spotted Jenny and Asma at the entrance to the park. He called and waved them over to the round pond. How was the I-360? he asked, giving Asma an enthusiastic smile and a thumbs-up gesture. Asma just looked at him blankly, then turned her attention to the pond. It was good, Jenny said. A good view of the sea, anyway. See any crows or anything weird? James asked. Well, the viewing platform doesn't reach the very top of the tower. When we got to the highest point, I did see a dark bird. Definitely not a seagull. Might have been a crow? James looked disappointed. But when we got back down again, and were walking along the prom to catch a bus back here, I'm sure I saw those two cats from yesterday. They were on the other side of the road, sitting in an alley. And then they were gone. James thought for a moment. Those two Persian cats were definitely suspicious. Has anything changed at the Sentinelms? Jenny asked. Nothing. And we checked out the rockery too, and found nothing there. We? Jenny asked, looking around. Then she saw Wilf and Laurie hiding in the rose garden and waved. They came over, and Queenie popped out from behind a statue. Jenny introduced them to Asma, and they all wandered back past the tennis courts to the ancient trees. On the way, Queenie chatted to Asma. James couldn't see the point. The Middle Eastern girl might have been listening, then again, she might not. There was no way he could tell. She never gave any reaction to anything, at least not until they reached the far end of the park. They stood between the two trees, and Wilf immediately leapt the cordon and began to climb the largest damaged elm. No! someone shouted. Wilf paused and looked down to see who was objecting. James looked round, and so did the others. It was Asma. She was waving a finger at Wilf, with a stern look across her face. Wilf looked for a moment like he might ignore her. Then he jumped lightly to the ground. She spoke, James said in astonishment. Of course she did, Jenny said dismissively, as if it was a usual occurrence. Don't make her feel self-conscious about it, James simply nodded. Asma stepped over the orange cordon and put her hand gently on the rough bark of the elm. She stood there silently for a minute, with her eyes closed. Do you think it's all right to climb the other one? Wilf asked quietly, pointing at the elm behind them. No, Jenny hissed with a scowl, before she noticed that the boy had a broad grin on his face. Quiet. Queenie nudged James's arm and pointed to a bush near the walled garden. A few shuffles later, and Hegel appeared. The hedgehog looked right, then left, then waddled over toward them, his prickly spines waving from side to side with each step. When he reached the group, he stopped, took one look at Asma, and exclaimed, Well, I never! Then he stood and stared at her for a long moment and said again, Well, I never! Never what? Laurie asked the creature. Hegel looked up at Laurie, who was the shortest in the group, and was leaning toward the hedgehog expectantly. Hegel's head came up to Laurie's middle. The hedgehog turned to James. I never thought that you lot would actually do your job. You mean your job, Hegel, James said. Like I said, I quit. But this, this explains quite a lot. Not everything, but at least quite a lot. And puts me in a much better mood. The hedgehog looked at the gang of children. Now you're all here, come inside with me and I'll put the kettle on. Bring her in too, if you please. Hegel raised his snout at asthma, then did an about turn and shuffled off into the gap in the other elm. Before James could point out that they'd never all fit, Laurie had dashed after the hedgehog, 
with Wilf and Queenie right behind. Come on, he said to Jenny. You bring Asma. Jenny took Asma's hand, and they all squeezed through into the damp darkness of the other tree. It didn't feel as cramped as normal. The deep crevice wasn't brushing against both shoulders and covering him with moss and spiderwebs. In fact, once he had both feet inside, the gap widened considerably, and he found he could walk normally rather than squeeze. The path through the tree took a tight left turn, and then he found himself in a low chamber, lit from above by sunlight streaming through a leafy ceiling. Wilf, Laurie, and Queenie were all sitting on what looked like huge mushrooms, or toadstools. The children all looked quite comfortable, as if this was how they usually spent time in the park. Hegel was off to one side, lighting a small fire under a metal kettle that hung from a hook protruding from the wall. The wall was in fact the inner trunk of the elm tree. James found a free mushroom and sat down. It was strangely soft and slightly rough, a little like the cushions on his uncle's old and worn leather sofa. Jenny and Asma sat on a settee, well, more of a large yellow fungus shelf growing out of one of the walls. It did not take Hegel long to get the fire going and heat the kettle. He stood on his hind legs and reached up to open a cupboard that was built into a knothole. He proceeded to pull out seven cups and saucers. He gave one to each child and kept one for himself. Then he filled them with a hot green liquid from the kettle. Then the hedgehog took a seat on a smaller mushroom, or toadstool, and took a long drink of the steaming liquid. Delicious, he said. Do drink up. James looked down at his cup. Out of the corner of his eye, he could see a disgusted look on Laurie's face. But Wilf already had the cup to his lips, and Queenie was at least smelling hers. James raised his cup and took a tiny sip. Peppermint, he said. Not quite, Heckle said. It's watermint, but that wouldn't taste good on its own, so I added a secret ingredient. The hedgehog pulled something from beneath its spines and held it up. Polo mints, Queenie said. Yes, Hegel said. Delicious. James wondered exactly why the hedgehog was being quite so nice, and also why he hadn't found this room when he'd looked in the tree earlier. I suppose you're wondering what's going on. Hegel looked at James, who nodded. Well, you have with you both the cause and the solution to this problem. You mean asthma? Jenny asked. How is she the cause of this problem? How indeed? Hegel nodded. These trees, the sentinelms, are powerful guardians. They can help protect anything in Brighton, and beyond. But the further away you get, the weaker their protection. That's why we put the stone of Brighthelm nice and close. In the rockery, James asked. Yes, but not anywhere you would find. The protection of the sentinelms can also be focused. Anything that needs more urgent protection or anything particularly powerful, can take priority. And if something is powerful enough, it pulls the protection away from the trees themselves. That's what happened. And that's how the foxes managed to bring a branch down and hurt the tree. Wait a minute, James said. Are you saying that the sentinels had their power drained by asthma? Not drained, but focused on her. Now she's their priority, not the stone, not even themselves. And the further away she is, the harder they have to try. Now she's nice and close. She's actually inside here. The trees can relax a little. But why would the trees be protecting asthma? 
Now that I don't know, Heckle said, looking at the silent girl. I don't know what she is or why she's here. She might not even know why it's happening. But I'd appreciate it if you could get her to come and visit once a day. That should keep the scented elms happy and stop those foxes from getting into the stone of Brighthelm. I don't know, Jenny started to say, but Asma looked at the little creature and nodded. There we are, all set. I'll be around from now on, and I'll see you tomorrow. Hegel looked happy with himself. Everyone finished their tea, except for Laurie, who gave his to Queenie to finish, and they left the chamber. Once they were outside, Jenny had to leave. Asma was going to be picked up from her house after a late lunch, and they were already late for the late lunch. Wilf spotted his granddad near the square cafe, and his granddad spotted him. Time to go, Wilf said, but let us know if you need any more help. Thanks, James said. It looks like the stone and the sentinelms will be safe enough for now. Wilf, Laurie and Queenie ran off to the square cafe. James walked back to the main path. It was mid-afternoon, which meant that there was another hour or two of daylight left. Plus, he didn't have to be home until 5pm. Hegel had confirmed that the stone was in the rockery. James wanted to have another look to see if he and Wilf had missed anything obvious.